Welcome to the Academic CME Podcast. As always, this program is a top quality accredited CE activity. If you would like to receive credit for this or any other Academic CME Podcast, please click the link in the description below or go to academiccme.com forward slash podcast. Greetings. My name is Dr. Sidney Brayman, and I'll be hosting this session on diagnostic strategies and long-term management of patients with non-tuberculin mycobacterial lung disease. I'm presenting today on behalf of Academic CME, uh, who have been uh, generous to put this program on, and with the generous support uh, of uh, a grant from InsMed uh, to uh, make this production. Uh, we are now uh, going to hear another uh, one of the sec sections on this five-part series. Uh, this section is entitled Improving Adherence and Outcomes While Reducing the Risk of Drug-Related Toxicity. I am uh, joined today by a friend, Dr. Ann O'Donnell. Dr. Ann uh, E. O'Donnell is Professor of Medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine. She's also the division chief of the Naomi uh, Cohen uh, Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine at Georgetown University. So, Anne, welcome, and thank you for joining me on this uh, podcast. All right, thanks, Sid. Uh, let's continue with uh, some questions relating to the treatment of patients with uh, uh, and mycobacterial diseases. Uh, we certainly learned this is not like MTB, this is not like uh, tuberculosis, and, or certainly the other category of leprosy, uh, and tuberculous leprosy. Uh, we learned last session how this is increasing worldwide, uh, and there are many, many challenges that uh, are in, in front of us with respect to treatment. Uh, so the first thing I'd like you to explore with us is, what are the impediments to long-term successful treatment? What, what, does, what is the doctor facing uh, and what's the patient facing uh, as you offer these uh, multiple drugs uh, that you had mentioned before? Yes, it, it's because it is a multi-drug and lengthy regimen to treat these infections. You know, there's both the patient and the physician sort of fear factor um, that has to be overcome. And, you know, in my mind, that's really education of the patient and and certainly um, our, our colleagues to understand that this is a definitely doable regimen, um, but we have to pitch it correctly that, you know, it is effective, it makes people feel better uh, and improve their uh, lung function potentially, at least through their imaging findings. So, you know, to me, that's number one, the education of the patient about each component of the antibiotic uh, regimen and the potential adverse effects from each uh, and how we're going to make sure they get through the regimen with uh, shared help from mm -hmm. the patient and the physician. Are there any steps you can take to improve adherence? I mean, what, what do you tell patients to do uh, when they are having intolerance or as we'll talk in a moment about toxicity? Yeah, so one thing at the beginning, I start each drug sequentially. So usually one week of azithromycin if it's MAC and then add the next two drugs in the subsequent two weeks. And that, that to me gives the patient a little bit of confidence that it's gonna be okay. And it also helps if there is gonna be an immediate side effect, I can recognize which drug is doing it. 
Um, in terms of surveilling while the patient's on therapy, um, you know, I, I do do routine blood work, you know, monitor their CBC, monitor their liver functions, usually every month at the beginning and stretch it out a little bit as, as the further we get into the treatment. It is important for the patients to understand that at the Ambutol, which we use in the MAC regimen, can cause neuropathy, both the optic neuropathy and peripheral neuropathy. Um, so I'm, I'm very vigilant for uh, vision changes, particularly in, in patients on that. And then the drug rifampin or rifabutin has a lot of has some potential for liver toxicity or just generalized intolerance. So I advise the patients about, about that. When the patient develops a definite adverse effect, you know, again, it's trying to sort out which drug is doing that. Um, I, I think all of us who do a lot of this uh, type of treatment recognize that the rifampin, rifabutin, um, uh, rifamycin drugs are probably the hardest ones on the patient. And so if we have to drop that one, you know, that, that can happen. We wind up with two drugs for MAC. Um, and then we have a few other second line options, if you will, to, to talk about. Mm -hmm. So the patient would anticipate surveillance. What, what kind of time limit here? Uh, for example, you mentioned liver function testing. Yeah, again, I usually do that and a CBC um, every four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and then I might stretch it out to every other month uh, as, as the regimen progresses. Uh, if they're doing okay. And then again, the, the eye exams for the ethambutol, um, I usually get a baseline one for the patient before we start therapy or shortly after we start therapy. And then the ophthalmologist is clued into, you know, giving the patient advice about what to monitor. Is there a lot of like GI intolerance? I, I feel bloated or I feel uh, uh, somehow or other pains or diarrhea or whatever. Right. Uh, and if so, uh, can, you, can you affect that in any way? Can you have an effect on that? Uh, what about taking pills some in the morning, some in the evening and splitting them out? What, what, what are the tricks that you've learned? Uh, yes, I've learned them? the tricks from the patients. <laughs> um, you know, the, the ones that have educated me about this. So I often tell patients to take the, the antibiotics before bed. Um, because the generally the nausea, if they're going to have it, is less of an issue, you know, during the night. Um, I try to get patients to take it all at once. Is there a rationale for that? Um, you know, not really, but a lot of patients will space it out during the day. Patients, you know, also read the labels and say, you know, one hour before and two hours after eating. Um, that becomes somewhat challenging. Um, and yeah, and and. But the lessons I've learned have really come from the patients in terms of this. Sure. So if I uh, have some early uh, intolerance, let's call it intolerance, uh, will it eventually go away and does it come back? Is this something that's, that's undulating, keeps coming and going? Yeah, my experience is it's usually the beginning of therapy that's the most challenging and that's where the side effects do turn up. Uh -huh. um, Another thing I should mention, I often do, I tell patients to take a probiotic to uh, help minimize the potential for diarrhea, particularly gotcha. uh, from azithromycin. Okay. But usually if we can get through the first three to six weeks, we're on a roll. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that you just mentioned about the probiotics I was gonna ask you about, are there any other nutritional 
uh, needs that the patients have or any tricks that you can take? Is there something uh, that, that some additive that they can rely on to help them get through this period? Yeah, other than the probiotic, I, I do stress the importance of maintaining good nutrition. A lot of these patients are borderline or actually underweight. And these antibiotics often can be challenging in that regard as well. You know, a patient who starts out at 100 pounds, if they lose five pounds, 5% of their body weight. So I do just stress like trying to eat whatever they want and, and keep the, the, the pounds on um, to, to fight this infection as well. Gotcha. So you've uh, mentioned to us uh, several uh, different drugs. Uh, it, may, it may be worthwhile uh, to just go over each one of them again uh, so that we have some sense of what to anticipate. Yes. Uh, uh, the three majors, the, the, I imagine azithromycin versus clarithromycin. If you could sort of go over those and uh, what about the toxicities and just to make sure that they're, they're you know, sure. well established. In this yeah, case. so drug one of the MAC uh, regimen would be azithromycin or clarithromycin. Most patients tolerate the azithromycin better, that um, clarithros twice a day, azithros once a day. Clarithro causes like a metallic paste in the mouth. So generally, now both of those drugs can have some GI intolerance and rarely hearing loss. So that's another um, thing that I, I educate the patient about and potentially you know, do baseline audiometry for that drug. Um, the ethambutol, as I mentioned, can cause neuropathy, both optic neuropathy and peripheral neuropathy. So um, periodic eye exams, um, the, the big risk is loss of color vision and optic neuritis. And so it's, it, even though that's a very rare complication of ethambutol, obviously it's very crucial for the patient to be cognizant of that. And then the third drug is rifamycin and again, GI intolerance. Um, liver function abnormalities, and occasionally just sort of a generalized intolerance of the drug um, I've seen with that, and, and very rarely uh, hematologic complications from it. So um, monitoring CBC for that is important. Mm -hmm. uh, earlier uh, in the podcast, one of the podcasts, you mentioned uh, that there's a three-time-a-week uh, treatment, and then there's a daily Yes. Uh, and I, I imagine there must be a difference in the intolerance and toxicity with these regimens. Could you mention something about that? Yeah, so the three time a week for patients with uh, MAC disease who have nodular bronchiectasis or non-cavitary disease is definitely acceptable. It's been shown in a study a number of years ago that it's equally efficacious to the daily regimen. And you're right, the side effects are less. But if the patient has cavitary disease or smear positive disease, then a daily regimen is uh, indicated. Gotcha. Um, the uh, comorbidities that you see with MTB or the diseases that predispose include uh, COPD, you had mentioned, uh, and um, also just bronchiectasis in, in, in general. Yes. Uh, anybody who's got pre existing. I guess cysts or cavities in their lungs, like sarcoid patients and so forth. Um, is there any sense that they, one would be more either more likely to get it and more likely to not respond well to the to the therapy? Yeah, it, you know, it's a, patients with more advanced cavitary disease 
um, do have a harder time clearing their infection than the patients with relatively more modest bronchiolitis and bronchiectasis. Um, and so that's why the daily regimen is recommended for patients with the cavitary disease. Um, the other thing I should mention, I mean, many of these patients are co-infected with other bacteria. I mean, it's not unusual for someone with MAC to also have Pseudomonas or E. coli or uh, staph. And so then you're, you, know, you have to deal with that aspect of the infection uh, in those patients as well. Okay. So knowing that these are susceptible patients, I mean, is there anything we can do ahead of time maybe to prevent uh, uh, these micro microbacterial problems? Yeah, um, I mean, identifying people at risk um, is a little difficult. I, I, there's been more interest in looking at patients who have already had the infection, been treated, and then to see if there's a way to mitigate reinfection or recurrence of the disease. And But we really haven't come up with the answer. I mean, these patients need to avoid hot tubs. That's one thing we know are mm -hmm. um, incubators of mycobacterium. Um, they probably need to avoid steam showers. Um, I mean, some people get more radical about the types of water that need to be avoided. Um, if they're gardening, they may want to wear a mask to mm -hmm. avoid the exposure from the soil. Yeah. These are things that make sense, uh, no proof, but uh, I, I think that uh, people are looking for obviously practical solutions as well as the, as, as the drugs them, themselves. Well, this has been wonderful. I think you've really answered pretty much all the questions that, 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 that we've had. Um, I, I guess uh, one last thing that I would uh, add um, as a question, uh, we had talked about the, the usual uh, treatment. Um, some patients will require injectables, is that correct? And if so, what are their drug, what drugs and what are their toxicities? Right, you're, you're right. If the patient has cavitary disease um, right up from the, start, we think about using an injectable, um, mainly amikacin uh -huh. um, for uh, eight to 12 weeks, usually three times a week uh, to help uh, with the clearance of the infection. We also have the liposomal uh, amikacin for inhalation, Alice amikacin liposomal for inhalation solution, um, which is uh, approved now for patients who have uh, persistently positive cultures after six months of guideline-based oral therapy for mycobacterium avium complex. Mm -hmm. So um, although the injectables are part of the regimen for the more severe patients, this ALICE is a rescue therapy right now for patients who do not convert their sputum uh, during the first six months of routine therapy. Rescue and also, I assume since an inhalation, Toxicity would be very much different in the in the spectrum, right? So as opposed to injection, you know, IV amikacin with its renal and vestibular and auditory toxicity, the inhaled formulation is very much less likely to do that. Um, the inhaled formulation sometimes causes uh, cough, hoarseness. Those are the the toxicities most reported with that. Solution. People with airway disease, would you recommend maybe a treatment with a short-acting beta agonist uh, or even short-acting anti-muscarinic antagonist uh, ahead of time? Yes, we often do that, um, especially at the beginning of the inhalation therapy, see how the patient does. And sometimes they can drop that uh, if they don't have uh, much cough from the inhalation. Mm -hmm. Are there any specific um, uh, uh, um, 
machines, uh, inhalation machines, nebulizer machines uh, that you would recommend recommend in, in, in this instance? Yeah, so the, at least the Jogalis comes with its own specific nebulizer uh, system. So it, it is individualized to that treatment, uh, that particular treatment. So yeah, it should be given in the nebulizer it's approved for. Excellent. Well, we've hit the spectrum from beginning to end here with uh, uh, the improving adherence, uh, reducing the risk of uh, any, any drug-related uh, uh, difficulties. And you've helped us a great deal, and I thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you. Pleasure interacting with you.